0: The Joyce Kaufman podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. So a couple of headlines today that really grabbed me. One grabbed me because it's so good and the other grabbed me because it's so bad. That's pretty much the uh, State of the Union. What can I tell you? The lead by one Donald Trump in Iowa hits 51% with the Republicans. So this is obviously going to be his election. The only way he doesn't get the nomination, there is no other way. Even if he's uh, tried and convicted, he's going to get the nomination. I'm pretty sure about that. But a nationally renowned Iowa poll shows that the smaller the field is getting, meaning you know the guys like pence and and uh, the the dropouts already he just gets stronger and stronger, Donald Trump. Neither Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis have been able to get any traction. they don't get any bump from these endorsements that they get, which I think is mind boggling, right because We used to believe that endorsements were the single most important thing that could happen in a campaign. Go around begging for endorsements. Now, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are getting huge endorsements and Donald Trump is storming ahead. It's obvious to me that this is a three-man primary right now, a two-man, one-woman primary right now, you see, I still know the difference between men and women, so I'm not going to say three men. And uh, who's going to get to be the second choice? Who's got the second most support out there? Who cares? You see, that's what's wrong with all this party politics to me. At this point, who cares? Put the strength of your party behind the candidate, and let's get on with the selection. The new Des Moines Register, NBC News, Mediacom, Iowa poll shows 51% of likely Republican caucus-goers picked Trump as their first choice for president. It was 43% a month ago. DeSantis, who was tied with Haley at 16% in October, is now in second place. He gained three points. He's at there with 19%. And she's still holding at 16%. So, And she got the endorsement from the Coke network, the Americans for Prosperity. And she's gotten a ton of donors who are saying, well, we want an alternative to Trump and it's obviously not Ron. So have you noticed how now the conversation about Ron DeSantis has shifted to his wife, Casey DeSantis, being the leading contender, even though it's not she hasn't declared anything, to become governor. I have no problem with Casey DeSantis becoming governor because it basically puts Ron in for another eight years or whatever, you know, it doesn't, Ron was a great governor when he wasn't too busy running around the country trying to become a presidential nominee. But that notwithstanding, have we really shrunk the political class so badly that families now have dynasties. They don't even have to be blood. It's not like uh, you have to be a Bush or the son of a Bush to get the nomination. Now you can be the wife. We've seen this in politics before. I just find it offensive. A country of, you know, so many <laughs> millions and millions of people who could serve in the presidency. Really, I believe that. And we keep coming up with the same, like, 45 names. And none of them are particularly strong, and none of them stand a chance. I mean, Chris Christie, how many times is that guy going to run for president just to tick off Donald Trump? Can't be worth his time. Asa Hutchinson? I had forgotten that Asa Hutchinson even was ever in this race. Vivek Ramaswamy is down to 5%. I said yes the other day on Friday. I have no idea why he entered this race. But I'm glad he did. I think it should be lots of new people coming out and declaring their nation's politics. And instead, we have it all concentrated in this small class. Did he go to Harvard? Did he go to Yale? You know, that, that kind of stuff is really, it's enough. Nice to see businessmen like Vivek Ramaswamy, climb into the arena. It's not an easy place to be. I'm sure he's found that out the hard way. I also thought it's very interesting that no one has played up the fact that in the United States of America, everyone is eligible, as long as they're American citizens born here, to run for the presidency. They just have to be citizens, right? And of the two leading contenders in the first well, at least in the first six months of the primaries season, you had two Indian Americans. It's not that big a group in this country. Can we all now agree that they may just have a little bit uh, of a better idea how to get educated, whatever country they're from or in? I think we could agree on that. But I keep watching. You know, there's 5% of the people that were polled don't have a first-choice candidate yet. Really? You consider yourself a knowledgeable enough person to participate in the caucuses in Iowa, pretty important caucus, and you don't have somebody that you prefer. We're not saying you have to go with your first-choice candidate in the end, but if the caucus was held tomorrow, you don't know who you would want. I find that stunning, but not atypical what a wishy-washy group of people we have become. Weak, insipid for the most part. Can't even articulate when something's evil. No, we have to hem and haw and say, well, it depends on the context. You know, kill the Jews. Well, it depends on the context. You can't make that kind of stuff up. I know you can't. So you have that going on. That was a headline that I was happy with, that uh, Donald Trump, his lead grew in Iowa. I believe that his lead is so substantial at this point that there really is no point in all of this blather that we're hearing about. We need an alternative. Well, the people don't think so. We don't really care what the political class thinks. I don't care what Mr. Koch thinks. The people think that Donald Trump has been targeted and drag through the proverbial mud because they're so afraid of him. And then the people think back to what it was like when he was president and they go, he's my guy. When you keep seeing the lead expand, that means that people who didn't vote for him the first time are jumping in and jumping in before the primary is over. You look at the numbers of African-Americans who are sick and tired of Joe Biden, I think it was up to 40 something percent. That's unheard of. You look at Uh, what was the election? Hispanics. More than 60% of Hispanics are dissatisfied with Joe Biden. That's not good news for Democrats. It doesn't always lead to down ballot results as we found out in the midterm and in some of these special elections, but it definitely speaks to the big one, the presidential election. This is Trump's biggest lead and this is no question a direct result of people who did not necessarily vote for him the last time or even consider him a good candidate the last time. I know people who didn't vote in 2016. And then they voted in 2020, but they had to hold their nose. You know, They voted for Donald Trump because things they knew things were better with Trump in the White House than they would be with Joe Biden. They knew that but they had to hold their nose. They didn't like Donald Trump. Now those people are like, you know, wearing Trump hats and T-shirts because after three years of the Democrats leading this country and in particular of Joe Biden being the president of this country and Kamala Harris being one heartbeat away from the presidency with a president who could be one heartbeat away at any time of his uh, end. And so it's just amazing. Donald Trump, with all the legal challenges, continues to soar in these polls. And trust me, he will get the nomination. And you don't have to trust me on this one, but I'm I'm pretty confident he will win the election. There was a headline that just shook me up, though. And it should shake you up. I know I'm the only political talk show host that ever likes to talk about the economy and the finance world because it's boring and it makes people's eyes roll into the back of their heads, you know. Nobody wanted to hear me talk about Charlie Munger last week when he passed, but Charlie Munger was one of my son's mentors. He worked with him and, you know, Charlie Munger was 99 years old, uh, Berkshire Hathaway's other half. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway did something that tells me And should tell you that alarm bells are going off in the American economy. And I believe, I'm not going to say that I have it on inside information because I don't. I have not discussed this with my son, although I will. But I always like to get out front with my opinion first. I believe that Berkshire Hathaway would not have done what what they just did if Charlie Munger was still alive. I just feel that Munger was actually the brains in Berkshire Hathaway. Buffett got all the credit. The, what do they call him? The Oracle of Omaha. But when we come back from the break, I'm gonna tell you what happened. And you're going to have to think about this. Not only think about it, but I'm gonna ask you to do something. I don't always ask you to do. You got some homework. You need to understand why this disturbed me as much as it did. And then if you have any kind of calming mechanism that you can give me, you can email it to me at joyceradio at gmail.com because I'm a little shook up by what happened. And my instincts in the world of high finance, particularly in the stock market, have been extraordinarily good. Not always perfect, but extraordinarily good. I have a good sense of what's working, what's not working, what's moving and what's not going to move. So I'm going to talk about it when we come back. Don't forget to download our app, the 850 WFTL app. That way you can participate in all of our contests, win prizes, and you can hear all of the excellent podcasts. I was on there over the weekend listening to the UAP, the Unidentified Alien podcast, excellent. Listening to Cool Dad Rules cracks me up every time. Bill has a great sense of humor. And of course, any show you may have missed of mine, South Florida Morning Show, whatever you missed and want to hear, you can do it at the website, 850wftl.com or on your app. Let me take a quick break and I'll be back. So here's what upset me, okay? And if you're like me, at this point in your life, you've gotten about as conservative as you've ever been in any kind of investing. I love investing in real estate because you're always going to need homes and lands and properties. I have a small amount of investment in material stuff, minerals not much, but I do like the stock market. First and foremost, I like it because I get to stick with companies that I know about and that I believe are good companies, companies that do the right thing. And it kind of gives you like the feeling you can stay away from companies who support things that you don't agree with. I know it doesn't matter, the companies, they're not sitting around going, well, I wonder if Joyce Kaufman thinks it's okay that we have a diversity, equity, and inclusion officer. They don't think about that, but I do. And it gives me a little sense of having some control at least over where my money goes. That's why I talk about Rubin Wealth Advisors all the time because I know that Bob Rubin invests in the kinds of companies that I would invest in. Thank you, Bob. (laughs) What can I tell you? If you're looking for an investment advisor who shares your values, then... Ruben850.com is a website you should check out. But anyway, Warren Buffett, who is now really doing it all on his own, Berkshire Hathaway, just did this in the first three quarters of 2023. He sold almost $29 billion worth of stock, which is pretty substantial, even for Berkshire Hathaway. The... Oracle sold $10.4 billion of stock in the first quarter of the year. In the second quarter, sold close to $13 billion of shares, bought less than $5 billion. And in the third quarter, sold about $5.3 billion worth of stocks. So if you are in the school that believes he's one of the greatest investors of all time, as well as one of the richest men, in America, even though he still lives in the same house. His moves are something that I watch very closely, and I try to analyze them, but you really can't, because you find out things so far after the fact. But there are certain people that I read. I read uh, Stephen Hanke, who's an economist from John Hopkins, and he was part of the Reagan administration, and he was also a um, I I don't know, I used to interview him. And so I grew to develop a lot of respect for Steve. And he just wrote that a recent lightening up on stocks and accumulation of a pile of cash to the tune of $157 billion, mind you, is consistent with the fact that stocks are relatively pricey now. What does that mean to you? I'll tell you what it means to you a recession is right around the corner, according to Berkshire Hathaway's Warren Buffett. The money supply of the United States, which is you know, broadly measured, started contracting in July of 2022 and has been dropping like a rock. Just since last year, the money supply in the US has contracted by over 3%. There's only been four times in our history in you know, recorded financial U.S. history, back in 2021, I don't have to tell you what happened then, 29 to 33, I don't have to tell you what happened then, 37 to 38, I don't have to tell you what happened then, and 1948 to 49, in which the money supply contracted like that. And each of those four times was followed by a serious recession. So this contraction, clearly, the likelihood is it's going to lead to a recession. Now, we don't hear anybody talking about that. That scares me. Because if you're expecting a recession, which apparently Warren Buffett is, what's your best move? I know that Warren Buffett loves to fish in troubled waters. And with the Fed putting the money supply in a nosedive, like the ones we've been seeing since, I don't know, 19, well, we haven't seen one like this since the 30s, Warren Buffett is anticipating that that's what's coming, that things are going to get very, very tough in the market. And then he's in a great position. He's accumulating all this cash. And by the way, in full disclosure, I'm going to cash a lot too, because you, when things get really crazy, you'll be able to to use that cash. And that's where Buffett has made big bucks over the years. He lends money to and rescues all of these distressed financial institutions. So, and, and in the meantime, while he's waiting for this to happen, he's getting a decent return on his cash anyway. Now, couple of investors that I was looking at this morning that I also follow and read, like David Wagner at Aptus Capital Advisors, he told Newsweek that Buffett is likely holding on to more cash because insurance costs have increased. And historically, Buffett has stated that his company likes to hold cash on its balance sheet to cover potential insurance losses. Or he's keeping cash on hand because of Market weakness, and right now cash is a pretty, you know, it's it's getting a healthy return. If the market were to fall, and then the valuations get much lower, but Warren Buffett will do what he did in two thousand and eight, and to my credit, what I did in two thousand and eight, which was be in a position to buy things that I had never been able to buy before. He could buy them anyway, but I couldn't have. But when you got cash, and everybody else is frantic and selling you buy. That's the secret. Yeah, you know, I love when people say like, well, what is the real secret to investing? Buy low, sell high. It's not a secret. Everybody knows it. Doing it is difficult. Warren Buffett does it. Nobody does it better. So I do. I watch him. I follow him and I'm a little bit nervous just uh, just watching what he's done this year that we're in for some pretty troubled, economic times, and followed by a recession. I'm old enough that I don't have to live in like a state of panic, but my kids should be pretty worried about it. I know Derek is, but I think my daughter and her husband and my other kids, they're they're just all like, well, whatever will be, will be. They're not savvy investors. They're not sophisticated investors by any stretch of the imagination. Um. I wouldn't pat myself on the back, but I definitely know more than any of them. (laughs) The only one who knows more is Derek, but Derek is so obsessive compulsive that I I can't spend as much time looking at the various uh, charts and tables and Fibonacci's and all the rest as he does these days, but there was a time when I did, and it's a good thing to do. Anyway, let me take a quick break. I will be right back. Don't touch that dial. So one of my friends said, lead to a recession. This isn't a recession. (laughs) I guess a lot of people are sure feeling that way, right? I get it. I do. I see I went out this um, late morning. I had to run to a local, you know, little shopping plaza. It's got a few different stores in it. It's not exactly a mall, but it has, uh, you know, a Ross and a TJ Maxx and Uh, Walmart there and uh, some other stores but I went over there I had to get a particular item so I wasn't going to do a lot of wandering around shopping plus it's Christmas time Hanukkah fourth day whatever and the last thing I want to do is be jammed into any kind of store with crazy Christmas shoppers right but I go to this little plaza usually it's this is a plaza that's fairly busy all the time it's on the corner of this, let's see, the northeast corner of Atlantic Boulevard and 441 in Margate. There was nobody there. And the Walmart had some business in it, but mostly in the like supermarket side of it, maybe. That's really it. There weren't a lot of people wandering around. I walked into this TJ Maxx and I thought, oh, this will be like crazy. Well, they had one cashier and she wasn't exactly overwhelmed. So people are feeling the crunch. People are not splurging the way I keep being told that they're, they're going to splurge. If you read the headlines on half of these news sites, it's about, oh, that's going to be the greatest shopping season, sales season. Now, granted, I know how many people are going to do 50 to 80 to maybe even 90% of their shopping online. I got my hand up. First of all, it's convenient. Second of all, I get these little wish lists from my grandchildren. They post them at uh, the website. And then all I got to do is hit the button and it's over. I don't have to go stand in lines and try to find... I was in... TJ Maxx was it TJ Maxx or Marshalls? I was in that. That was the store I went to. Marshalls. I'm in the store, and Marshalls is a clothing store. I mean, they have housewares and things of that nature. But I was in there for to get someone an article of clothing, and they had piled up tables of toys and games because they're not going to miss the shopper. You know, if you're in there buying clothes, you have to have some children on your. Shopping list. And so there was this one woman, and I could really check her cart out because there weren't that many people in the store. She had two carts, by the way, and had filled them both with the kind of toys and games that I know nothing about. Like totally out of the age range of my grandkids. Although I guess Carter maybe is in that age range. Carter only wants, uh, what are they called? Uh, transformers that's he's into transformers so that's easy right but there were all kinds now the big thing is thoughtful toys toys that children have to use their brains which was always my first choice right i like games my kids had a lot of games because i think games and interacting with other kids even if they're your siblings is a good way to learn social skills also a good way to learn how to lose something that my son derek never learned but we tried so I'm looking, and there were no games on these tables that were piled high, but there were these thought toys which were like magnets that you could build shapes with. Actually look kind of cool. Uh, you know, I thought about maybe getting one, but I just didn't have anybody in that age range. It's like for a two to four-year-old. But all I kept thinking is, why would you fill up your two carts like this lady had done? And now you got to drag all that stuff home And then you got to wrap it. And then if you're like me, you have to ship it. Half the time in the early days when I was, you know, when I had my first grandchildren, you go berserk, right? Especially if you can't be there with them on the holidays. And it's like you're at the UPS, uh, whatever you call a store, three times a week for weeks. And you're spending more money on shipping than you spent on the actual toys. Why would anyone do that today when you can have them shipped directly. It wasn't that easy back then and I didn't want to do it. I was experiencing it. Is anybody in your house suffering with this dry cough thing? Because everybody around me is, including me. And I don't know what it is. I have no other symptoms. I have no fever. I have no sore throat. I have no congestion. Well, I have a little congestion. But it's like a dry throat and Yesterday at church, I'm listening to half the congregation choking. And I guess that's where I got it. But anyway, let me get back to politics. I'm sure you have had enough finances and enough of my Christmas shopping saga, but I'm telling you, people are not spending money the way they were. And I'm looking also at the people in my community who are leaving and moving outside of Florida. Old people are leaving Florida old people are feeling the crunch it's expensive for an older person living on a maybe a single social security check when you have insurance costs going up through the through the roof although i did read an interesting piece today about a proposal here in florida that people should be able to buy home insurance without being subjected to the brutality of roofing In other words, the policies have gone through the roof because insurance companies are demanding that people get new roofs. You know, they have all these aging roofs and they paid off a lot of money apparently in years past. And so now they've decided that they're just going to increase premiums to a ridiculous level. And the average family homeowner is struggling so they got to do something in the Florida legislature and I saw it was a pretty interesting article about how they were considering keeping the portion out of the insurance policy the roof and and I think it's a great idea because if and when you do need a new roof then you buy it you pay for it but if you don't need one why should you be paying insurance premiums that are forcing you to consider leaving florida i brought this up to uh, blaze and golia 2 years ago i've been talking about this for many years and you got you have to admit there's a lot of people who are not going to be able to make it i was just looking at in my own community people who are on fixed incomes who see a $190 increase in their homeowners in the maintenance fees, are scared to death. Because this has been happening, uh, you know, substantial increases every year, but now it's really big increase, and they're terrified. They don't know how they're going to do it. They've depleted a lot of their savings already. And so they better come up with something. And I'm not adverse to segregating the portion of your insurance that's devoted to roofs. You know, I'd I'd rather take the chance than be paying these astronomical premiums. And I know there's a lot of people that won't be able to pay them. And so if the legislature here in Florida can't come up with a good reason or a good way of maybe making it a little more manageable for a population that we have tons of. We have old people on Individual single incomes. Oh my goodness. I just got an email from somebody up in Hobe Sound. Originally from Long Island, moved to South Florida 15 years ago. I appraised residential real estate. Things were great under Trump. Now they're horrible. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. I thank you, Anda. I, I, I totally get it. And getting worse. If this isn't a recession, what's a recession going to feel like? That is the question. And then I have a, I'm going to have to pour through this email. Another person with uh, what does natural born actually mean when I said that earlier? Um, and, and this is an in depth article that was sent to me. And, and I happen to be pretty clear about this that uh, we got a lot of people who think they can be president who actually can't be president. But we've been fooled before, according to him, and I'll have to read the whole article later. Nikki Haley's not eligible. Kamala Harris is not eligible. I haven't heard those two yet. I remember when we were arguing over John McCain, who was born on a military base. So he definitely was. They're not natural born, but you do have to have two citizen parents. And Trump's mother was a citizen when he was born, but I don't want to rehash that old story. Anyway, let me take my final break for today. I have one more segment left. And then, of course, Eric Erickson comes on, followed by Joe Pags, followed by Lars Larson, and then tomorrow, and the red eyed guys overnight. And then tomorrow morning, Jen and Bill will be back with the South Florida morning show at 6 a.m., followed by. Brian Kilmeade at 9 o'clock. And he'll be on with me, I think, on Wednesday. or I believe it's Wednesday. And then at 12 o'clock, Dan Bongino, and then I'll be back at 3 tomorrow. But I have a segment left, so don't touch that dial. I'll be right back. So uh, my friend, well, not my friend, but somebody who I still admire, Elon Musk, has said that he would rather go to jail than suppress and censor Americans at the whim of the U.S. government. I watched this epic X Spaces with Musk, Alex Jones, the host is Jack Posobiec, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, Matt Gates, I don't know, it's a bunch of people. And the question was that, you know, the huge thing that had come out of the Twitter files is that the government was literally telling Twitter what they should post and what they should censor. And so what is the plan going forward, he asked, because Elon, you you said that you want to be working in conjunction within the confines of the law, but the question is, if that law is being enforced by the law enforcement agency, like the FBI or the Department of Homeland Security, And then they come to X and say, these posts need to be censored. This information needs to be censored because we've determined, whatever it is, what does X do? How does X make that determination? So Musk said that X is going to be as transparent as possible. Basically, we will see everything that is happening on the system and nothing will be hidden. That is the goal. So, well, if those agencies, he was asked, the FBI and the DHS reach out they do what they call defensive briefings like they did in, in the past. Um, that's what culminated in the censorship of Hunter Biden. So he said, if they started reaching out again, would that be something that you or the team would consider making public? And Musk replied he would not undertake censorship on behalf of the U.S. government and that he'd rather lose his freedoms than take the freedoms of others at the government's behest. Wow. Wow. He said he would go to jail rather than censor users on X at the behest of the government. That's amazing, you know, and one of the reasons that I do admire her because uh, Jack Dorsey and then the guy after him, uh, Agrawal, they were led by the nose by the government and they were censoring and labeling stuff as misinformation, disinformation, all that stuff at the express request of the government. And we know that because Matt Taibbi exposed it all in the Twitter files. The FBI actually took the executives at Twitter at the time into a hypothetical round table to identify misinformation, and what did they use as their example? The Hunter Biden laptop. Back in September of 2020, when the New York Post had just released their reporting on that laptop, along with all the allegations of influence peddling, because that was what there was, it was on the hard drive. And we now know that the laptop was his. So for those executives to have bought the narrative that the government was feeding them, that this was Russian disinformation, is really embarrassing. I mean, Jack Dorsey is dumber than than a brick if he bought that. But he did. Now, of course, we have uh, our Department of Homeland Security, the dude who really should be impeached, Mayorkas, warning everybody that there is a heightened terror threat because of the war in the Middle East. That we, here in the United States, face a heightened terror threat because of the conflict between Israel and Hamas. Further compounded, he said, with an open U.S. southern border. Okay, so maybe you might wanna secure the border. A bunch of the federal agencies announced that they were you know, being very vigilant when a former head and one of the founding members of the uh, Hamas called on Arabs and Muslims to participate in protests in a day of jihad back on October 13th. Now we didn't uh, see any violence carried out in the United States, but in France, there was a teacher killed, two other people injured by some 20-year-old with the ties to radical Islam. We saw Christopher Wray, the director of the FBI, talking in a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing saying, I have never seen a time where all the threats or so many of the threats are all elevated, all at exactly the same time, which is when I think it was Senator Lindsey Graham said to him, so blinking red lights analogy about nine eleven. All the lights were blinking red before nine eleven. Apparently, obviously, all of us missed it. Would you say there's multiple blinking red lights out there? Ray told the senator that he is seeing blinking red lights everywhere. Well, if you saw the footage from Lukeville, Arizona last week, where you had the um, Turning Point guys and and Bill Malusion filming just thousands of illegal immigrants crossing the border, getting on government-funded shuttles that were taking them to Tucson, Arizona to be processed. This is the mass illegal migration is definitely the largest intelligence failure since 9-11. And there's no question in my mind, or in anybody else's really, even if you don't want to admit it, that there were documents in the San Diego field office that said, individuals inspired by or reacting to the current Israel-Hamas conflict may attempt travel to or from the area of hostilities in the Middle East via circuitous transit across the southwest border. How much more you need, guys? It's like the uh, college presidents saying, like, well, it depends on what context what's the context about individuals coming here across the Southwest border to do harm because of what's happening in the Middle East? How much context do you need for that? I thank you for your time this time until next time. My plan is to be back here tomorrow at three o'clock if it be his will and he delays his coming. Remember what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then, as I often say, may God bless you, may God bless Israel, and may God bless the United States of America. I'll see you guys tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.